0: It's just always been a uh, very friendly, wonderful uh, community, kind of that just seemed to be connected in a in a way that not every industry maybe is. Welcome to Ruben's Sightglass. I'm Adam Robbins,
1: and I'm Matt Lutton,
0: and today we're going
2: to talk about one of uh, Grace and my favourite places, Brower's Cafe, and um, we uh, live really close there. We we go there all the time. We uh, had a an event. In our wedding week, thirteen years ago now, um, at Browers, it's been a big, a big place on our our beer journey, and um, and it's very important to us. We've got one of the most iconic beer bars in in the state, in the country, just literally down the street street from us here. Today, we're going to speak to um uh, Nat Pellman, the uh, general manager of uh, Browers, and also Matt Vandenberg. He's the uh, who's known by Vern. By everybody, right? So it seems a bit even weird to say now his name, (laughs) but also I don't don't even know what title he'll officially call himself. So uh, he's the founder, the owner. um, Such a nice guy, and we've known them since actually before we opened. Uh, Nat brought some of his team to the brewery before we had technically opened and tried some of the beers that we had. We're proud to say that we are the uh, we brew the house beer beer there now. It's been pretty pretty awesome, and that beer. Is a nice, a nice one too, and it's won its fair share of awards, which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. So today we've talked about some of the different tiers, right in in the, the beer industry. So today we wanted to talk about the retail tier, that end, uh, that contact with the end consumer. Um, we talked in the previous episode with the distribution tier. So now we're gonna uh, shift gears and 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 look and really investigate how how. The retail tier kind of kind of works in its intricacies. So let's uh, let's get to the uh, let's get to the chase. Let's uh go to the recording with, with Nat and Vern. How about we start with you both describing um, how you got into beer? You know, how did you get into the beer industry?
0: Uh, where should I begin? I think, you know, maybe a, a few uh times to Belgium when I was a young kid maybe was very impressionable on me and so by the time I was of age I was ready to go to work in a brewery and and, you know see what was next so yeah that's how it started for me I I moved up to Seattle in uh 96 and uh got a job at Maritime Pacific so uh in Ballard yeah yeah so that's that was very close to the the, where I didn't you see I didn't go very far away from there. I love that 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 neighborhood. That's a, a terrific area. So you know, it just led to you know eventually uh, opening a little beer shop in Wallingford. So uh, very modest. We get beginnings. You know, it's just a few coolers, and uh, you know, we kind of didn't know where it was going to go from there and how big it would get. I mean, it was just you know very a decent beer market back then, but it still was you know it looks resembles nothing of what you know we have today.
2: When when was so, bottleworks
0: opened? Bottleworks opened in February '99. I nine, Wow. And then um, Browers was March 2005. I should no, I was just uh, 2005. Yeah, it took a couple, about a year and a half to, uh, from, you know, getting it, you know, from the idea phase into opening, you know, but wow. not so bad for all things considered. That took, it was a big project, you know, as yeah. you understand. But the permit's yeah. even longer, right? <laughs> the permit.
3: Yeah.
2: Hey, Nat, yeah. well, how, how did you get into beer?
3: I got, well, I was interested in homebrewing when I was younger. I never really took that anywhere or went anywhere with it. And I moved to, I worked in a bar. I worked as a bar back in a bar in in a music venue in Seattle all through, or sorry, in Burlington, Vermont, Club Toast, all all through college. And got it, you know, Vermont had a lot of microbreweries at that point in time so started started drinking them and then moved to shortly after graduation moved to seattle with my girlfriend who i'm still with was looking for a barback job got this barback job at pyramid hated it and then we happened to be out just driving around and we were driving down uh, university ave and we saw this little yellow sign in the window big time that said looking for barback/door guy and i was like well might as, well, might as well apply. And so I applied. Long story short, ended up having a couple pints after I dropped the resume off. Then the manager at the time came in. We, I had an interview. I got hired three days later. I quit pyramid and got a job at Big Time where I worked for 10 or 11 months before we left for Tahoe, but it left a lasting impression. Then I came back in like oh six, oh five, and went right to Went right back to working at the big time for a little bit. And then in 2008, got offered a job at Browers. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs>
2: so obviously, Browers focuses in, in Belgian food and, and beer. I mean, maybe you can just give people the, the overview of, of how, how that came to be.
0: My goodness. Um, I can't say I've ever really. Been to many, you know. I mean, I can't really think of a Belgian restaurant in the states that ever, you know, affected me. It was just like there was just certain foods that, you know, certain dishes that you could only get in Belgium, and that was kind of the allure for me. Was why can't you know why don't we do this just like they do it? Do you know palm frites? Let's do beef carbonade. Let's do you know moules and mussels, you know, the right way, and you know. So that was basically, you know, it was the menu kind of was before the the concept really the concept came later as this is just a a perfect pair to do belgian food with belgian beer because it's it's tried and true it's been uh you know very popular for a long time and it hadn't really kind of made its way into the mainstream uh, except for maybe in new york and a couple hot spots in the in the country you'd see like you know belgian cuisine as something you know to to go after and you know uh, you see so many French cookbooks, you know. Any anytime you look at any library of, of uh, cookbooks, it's amazing that you, you very you rarely, seldom ever see a Belgian cookbook. But of course, the French tend to love Belgian cooking. I'm sure, uh, as far as I know, the culture kind of borrows from each other. and has, I think, for forever. So yeah, it's, it was just kind of a night a, a really proper niche. Since uh, you know, I'm 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 Belgian.
2: <laughs> so. It's a, you have about fifty taps, right? I can't remember the exact number. Is it fifty exactly?
0: Sixty-four.
2: Sixty-four. And
0: um, but we've uh, we've kind of you know lost a couple, added a
3: couple, so uh, it's it's about sixty now.
2: So sixty. So um, right
3: now, how are we? at? we're at sixty-four. We just don't have the two cask engines going right now, so it's sixty-two technically. Yeah. Yeah. So, then, yeah it would be nice to get back to cask beer again soon.
0: I haven't spent like a little while.
2: I remember um, delivering a cask to you in the car, and as it was, it, and we had to get it in the cooler very quickly because it was on, on a little bit of a being shook, shaken around too much. Because absolutely, <laughs> but it it worked out well. It was for it was for a New Year's one, a New Year's early on. It must have been like twenty thirteen. Sure. So with with sixty taps, how on earth do you go go about putting together? curating a tap list. So how, how do you even start thinking of that? And and how does the c- customer play a part in that decision?
3: I mean, so we kind of chop it into block. I mean, I have curated the draft list for quite some time now. Basically, we used to, now it's hard to talk about what we do right now because it's not exactly what we had, did before COVID. So it is a little different now. But usually it was like we had anywhere from 10 to 16 Belgians and always tried to rotate through So you're kind of trying to hit every palette or style that you can as as best you can. And then obviously you you keep a few standards. So we've always had like St. Parter's App 12 on. Um, Right now we have Degar on, which is a great Belgian triple. So we started with that. And then obviously you're in the Northwest. So you throw in a bunch of IPAs. Um, And then we would always try to have, you know, Saison DuPont, Farmhouse. So you kind of like chop up the styles that you need to get, you know, and try to meet everybody's needs i feel like people come to browers some people just want to try and true. some people want the weirdest barrel age thing that they can find and you kind of just tick along and try to keep it as eclectic as you can and what people like if you notice that people aren't drinking a style you stop carrying it for a while and then people start asking for it again we've just gotten recently asked for browns reds ambers and ESPs. and i was like where is it 19 like is it early 2000s oh God, this is good. and then there's always the people that are like wanting thirty ipas on draft and i'm like well that's we have 10 isn't that enough so i think you just try to look at i've just i've known, grown to know beer more and more and better and now it's crazy because it changes so fast that you can barely keep up but to keep kind of with keep your ear to your ear to what's happening and try to have the things that people are searching out that are new, but also direct people to drink tried and true things that have withstood the the test of time and are things that you should have. Like we always have Orval bottles. Everybody should drink Orval. You know, there's certain things that should people should just have to drink before they get to drink some of the other stuff so that they get an idea of what has been and what what's there. So I do my best to stay true to beer and then also experiment and explore some of the new stuff that's coming.
1: I mean, there are many, many great things about rowers and Bottleworks, but one of them is that you are carrying some cutting-edge stuff and you're carrying some of the classics. And certainly for me, that's where I got my introduction to those classic beers um, when I was just starting out kind of enjoying craft beer. Can you talk a little bit about that educational component? Like, How do you go about making sure someone can try some of these, these classics and understand what they are? Because a lot of the, the cool new stuff, as you said, comes and goes so fast, we should be rooting ourselves in some of the the classics where we came from.
3: I would say, uh, as with anything in the service industry, the the street goes both ways. So if people come in and are totally into just like, I want IPA, and that's all they're going to talk about and want to hear about, then, I mean, we're in the service industry, we're in the hospitality business, we give them the, hey, here are your options. Somebody comes in and wants to talk and like goes down a path and starts, you know, you start developing a relationship and like a hey, you wanna you wanna try something else? Or they're like, Hey, I want to try whatever. And you're like, Cool. Are you? You know, I ask a few, do you are you okay with sour beer? How are you okay with funky beer? What do you want? You know, and they're like, I don't care, just hit me. Then you start going, like, all right, you gotta try this, and they're like, and they're like, What is this? And you're like, Okay, it's an old, it's an old Belgian beer that's been around, blah blah blah. And then you go down the road of talking somebody for somebody about it. I guess that's the approach that we take is like if people are interested and in start asking questions it opens the door if somebody's closed off it's you can try to get out you know like hey you want to you know you just want to drink hazy ipas fine i have these ha- these hazy ipas you know like yeah i got barrel aged beer okay here you go yeah. uh, but once you get somebody going and they oh what should i have then you can it opens the door it's like hey we have this brewery that you'll probably never see on draft here you go have it you should try it some people are open some people aren't i think it's like a it's feeling people out and then taking the chance or taking the opportunity when it's presented to give people that share your share your story and your knowledge and get them into it, you know.
1: Yeah. So another one of the really big things that is just forever lodged in my mind when I think of Browers are your guys' events, Big Wood and um, the Sour Festival, and I remember lining up outside of those things when I was younger. Can't wait to get in, and see what's on tap. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how? Those things came to be. What was the original idea, and then how have they evolved over time?
0: Yeah, I'll have to tell you a little bit about that. When we wanted to always have um, our annual events, our traditions, if you will, uh, start from the first you know year that we opened. So it was important that we launch every festival that we wanted to do that first year, so that they would be you know in consecutive and keeping with our our time of establishment. So uh, we managed to pull it off. Um, there was one that didn't make it, and then a couple that kind of uh, popped up later, like the hard liver. Uh, we always wanted to have barley wine fest, but, uh, you know, as as barley wine, as you know, as you probably know, is kind of its own beast in its own, I would say, category like no other, you know. So we wanted to really embrace the strong ale barley wine part of uh, the spectrum, and I think it seemed to really jive with a lot of our customers and, and, and fans and friends and everybody just seemed to kind of gravitate with us on the, uh, the strong ale path. It wasn't until much later that the sour beers kind of became more prominent and, you know, people were not really that many people weren't into Lambic, I wouldn't say, or sour, you know, beers uh, such as those until much later. So at least in my experience. So it really came out of a love of, uh, I think, strong ale. And, um, you know, at the time, the the liquor board had a cap of 10%. So we, we really kind of could not access some of those world-renowned beers that we wanted. So it took a little time and a little bit of pestering, uh, every, you know, the, the powers that be to try to, to get things to where they are. And um, anyway, so the, the festivals kind of took on a life of their own and grew over time. And then, of course, Seattle Beer Week uh, kind of gave us the opportunity to Put a couple things together so people could be sure and catch you know a couple of these um special events that normally wouldn't
2: so we talked about multi-styles like coming back kind uh, of right now maybe and you know they probably went out of style what, what seven ten years ago something like that maybe in 15 years that browse has been open um there's been a lot of changes in craft in total, maybe you could just talk through some of those things. And I'm kind of wondering if we c- if we come around like doing circles all the time and then we're just moving on, right?
3: Yes, it is cyclical in nature. I think everything, you know, at every, there's dips and there's highs and there's lows. I don't know where we're headed per se. Anytime you just continue to drink the same thing over and over and over, you're going to you get palate fatigue and you want to try something different. And I think a lot of people are like, I, can't drink IPAs for like right now I just got burned out on hops I just want a uh, farmhouse sale or something you know that's different than just a, you know like there's so many of just you know and no offense to anybody but like there's just so many beers that are from different producers that basically all hit the same they're doing the same thing and I think a lot of people get into that and then some of those get, are great and go out of the park and some of them people just get tired of this same. Thing over and over you know it's like well i drank 20 different ipas and most of them tasted very similar right like i think so now people are where they used to get into beer through going to a microbrewery and trying amber now it's people get in and try ipa or something like that and then somebody teaches them more about beer and they widen their the birth of what they drink right like or i don't know maybe it's the fact that untapped is around and people have to check in different things and they're like i have not checked in one of those let's try it out you know i don't i don't know
2: what about uh profiles in general cuz like i was just thinking cuz back in 09 10 wasn't even really around at all right so it's 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 kind of interesting seeing the almost the life cycle of hops as well as styles and amarillo has changed as a hop very very strongly as as well um i used and then the move to hazy ipas are you seeing people's palettes change over time like i mean you've mentioned about burnout but um of of maybe hoppy beers but i wonder on on the food side as well i wonder if there's anything
3: i think browers people come specifically for and there are people that come and eat the same thing which they come you know every six weeks or every two months or whatever and they're like i come for the lamb and a couple of these beers and they're usually you know they if the food item they want, you know, stewfleas. I haven't had stewfleas. Like people came back and they're like, "Oh my god, I haven't had fleas in 18 months." This is am- I'm amazed, right? And then they're like, "Cool." And they, you know, beers change at that point. They're not going back to a beer, so they just chew. They, if they're regulars, they're like, "You know what I like? Just get me something, right? I want to drink. I want to try something yeah. new." So, I would say most of the customers at Browers come for the tried and true specific things that. And Bob, the chef, has been there for 14 years, and he started as a prep cook. So, like. The consistency is there and people come for that consistency. And then they also like to see what else is on there, but they come for stuflis, rockfish and frites, a lamb burger, you know, there's the trofman sear. So there's a couple of things that are tried and true that people, we have a couple that comes in every once a once a week now and they drive in from Maple Valley because they're like, nobody does it as good as you guys. So we come in here. That's great. So the food is a different animal than the beer like people want to try new beer people a lot a lot of a lot of people come for the consistency of the food that's kind of
2: interesting right that it's a dichotomy between the uh, food and, and the liquid <laughs> But you mentioned that there are some people now coming every week maybe you can talk about covid the that and how because i think that was a obviously a very very significant and hopefully now we are Coming out of that, people get vaccinated. You know,
3: hopefully. Yeah, we transitioned and tried as much as we could to do what needed to be done to stay open. We obviously cut hours. We did take out. Um, we did some beer beer specials, and you know, raided the cellar and did that. I would say, you know, a lot of what Browers is set up to do and has always done is to bring people together. And we had to not we had to struggle with this urge to wanna to bring people together, but there's no you you can't when it's a global pandemic and there's you can't gather. So I think a lot of us struggled with that. Yeah. We're still trying to like it's very, it's a cause it's a very, you know, it's a very special time right now. I think we we can't you can't move too fast right now. We're gonna go back, I fear. So it's like you wanna plan stuff, but it's also like you wanna be smart and stay safe and like not have people crammed in and you know, you got to be responsible. Even if we're vaccinated, it's still a very, we're on the, we're <laughs> on the red edge right now. And so it's, uh, we're slowly starting to put things on the calendar further out. Like burlesque is getting planned. I hope. So that'll be a fun event. That's beer, beer and burlesque. It'll be great. You know, like we're talking about big wood, but do we're talking about maybe ticketing it, you know, we're, Constantly trying to keep it so that we, a, don't feel just crushed, and b, so that it is safe. You know, when we went maskless for a second, the first couple of days were unique. It was real awkward for yeah. me to just be maskless in a room with people. And then with Delta, I've gone back. To, I have gone back to wearing a mask because I feel like that's the smart thing to do, and I have to protect myself. Um, but we've been we've done our best to be as conscious and conscientious and, you know, safety for our staff and our guests. We have a great HVAC system. We have airflow. So we've, we've always just tried to stay safe.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, so I, I don't, on something far more happy. Um, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've actually told either, either of you this, but when, when Grace and I bought our house we weren't this was back in 07 we weren't thinking about kids at all so our whole prerequisite is we have to be within a few blocks walk of a bar right so so there is no it's not a coincidence that we're just a few blocks away from browsers right and and <laughs> i i think i have told you this that when we had um when when we got married the next year we obviously had people from uh, Korea, Grace South Korean from Illinois, like that's where she grew up, and from the UK. And so we did all these events and we we rented out one half of the top there for like everybody who came from out of town and uh at, at Browse. So Browse has a very important place in our heart just before we even got into the beer industry and then and then obviously now that
3: was before, that was before you opened a brewery right?
2: Yeah yeah that was years before yeah yeah and then obviously is your house IPA? It's, it's is is very um, it's kind of amazing, you know, for 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 me personally. Given given all of that kind of background that we already had with with Browse, but one thing that really stands out is the service um, at, at Browse, you know, and. And for a brewery, um, it's a very different, you know, we're we're counter service, right? People come in, they ask for a beer, you give them the beer. And uh, maybe you can just explain, like, I can only imagine how hard it is to have consistency and high standards of service on a regular, consistent basis. I mean, how how do you, what's your ethos around that? And how do you ensure that, that high level?
3: I mean, I worked in casual fine dining in Tahoe for six or seven years as a back weighted uh then i was a server while it was casual fine dining we still had to we didn't they would every once in a while want us to crumb and do that but i was drilled into me that like greet the table do the thing and all that stuff matters when you when you're out like you know keep the water full there's there's a couple things that i just look for and then constantly try to get i mean if people aren't doing them i you know you're like hey Boom, boom. it does it does matter so we just we have steps of service that we talk to everybody about we go through the whole you know the whole steps of service and that and then it's just in hiring you try to find people that have worked in high volume restaurants that required them to follow a series of protocol to you know we've hired had great success with people that worked at the spaghetti factory and play other places where they work you know it was drilled into them that you had to be at the table in this amount of time. Check back with food. There's a couple key, you know, keep the water full. Make sure they get drinks in a timely manner, because food can wait if you get them drinks usually. And then check back once the food is dropped, so that you, if you have a problem, you can remedy it quickly and get them eating and not have them just sitting. So, um, and I, you know, it is partially hiring as partial, you know, getting lucky with the people that you hire and then it's staying consistent. And then as a manager being consistently there and consistent in what you ask for.
1: This all comes after the place is built after the kind of concept is made. So Vern, maybe tell us a little bit about the experience you're trying to create for guests when you conceived of Browers.
0: For me, it was about wanting to create, uh, like fine dining, but without the, any pretentiousness, you know, so wood tables, um, you know, kind of old world was the idea, the concept, and get people together, meeting, talking, hanging out. You know, so yeah, it just seemed that that was, uh, you know, uh, to be not, you know, can, you know, not having to have the white linen tablecloths and not having to, to be in any way, with all respect to fine dining, not too stuffy. You know, and so um, I was always concerned. I, but the art of dining out is is alive and well, and obviously has taken on a new approach in many ways. Uh, in some ways, it'll always you know, uh be somewhat the way it always has, but um, it'd be a shame to see that the art of, of dining uh lost among us because it really is uh something you have to you, you you it's a two-way street as Nat said. So there's you know uh working with your your server, your your um your host, whoever you have, your bartender, you know, letting them help you the right way. You know, some sometimes not everyone knows how to go about it the right, you know, the same way. We try to help and step in where we can and make it easy for them, you know
1: you know, we're a great example of how a brewery can develop a relationship with uh, an establishment like yours, like we've done for many years, the house IPA. You know, we were talking about the consumer relationship earlier. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the relationship you guys have with breweries and how you maybe influence the beer that comes down the line to you guys.
3: I think, obviously you've said Browers is a place that it's it's designed to bring people together. It's aesthetically amazing. Like, pleasing it's grandiose it's been around for a long time those that have a lot of people like people have moved on from there to start their own bars it's been a gathering place for craft beer obviously like bottleworks was early on browers was really early um and then has really worked to create relationships with and has i mean a bunch of people have worked all around in different areas but through the festivals through um, I know these guys used to uh, burn and then Matt Bonnie used to go down to David King's barley wine fest and meet a bunch of people that way. And then just kind of like being present and then taking the opportunity to get to know people and like taking the time to create a relationship with people is part of what was kind of instilled in me while, while when I started there, like it's not to say everything's about relationships, but life is about creating relationships and being present and being around and being being part of it, and I think Browers has always worked to have people that draw you to draw people to Browers, but also then spend time going out and spending time with people and and creating relationships and or fostering relationships. um And then I think that leads to like, hey, we're doing an anniversary beer. We'd like to do this, and then the give and the take that goes along with how that's going to work, and paying attention and listening to what people want to brew. Right? They're like, hey, I this, this reminds me of Browers. I'd like to do it this way. And then, okay, what about this and that, you know, and just kind of like having discourse and having a conversation. Well, we're lovers of beer and that's, you know, all it's ever been. I mean, uh, from the very
0: beginning, we were traveling, going places to try new beers, meet new uh, friends that were introducing us to other friends in the industry. And it just, it was, it's just always been a uh, very friendly, wonderful uh, community kind of that just seem to be connected in a, in a way that not every industry maybe is, uh, there was a familial quality to it and that has grown and, uh, it's beautiful to watch. I, you know, these days, obviously we're not traveling around, uh, for beer in the, in the same gregarious way that we used to, but, but I'm sure we will again. And for right now, I just want everyone to drink good beer and continue to not, uh, lose sight of what we all want and, you know, look forward to. And then hopefully we uh, we continue to maybe go back and look at some of the things we overlooked and look at, you know, how style is important and how, uh, you know, we don't want to lose any of these wonderful uh, beers that have been around for a long time, you know, in, in search of the latest craze, you know. For the time being, I, I'm, I'm very pleased to see that there's a really uh, robust uh, scene happening in, in the craft beer world, and it's great. So I hope it all just continues to flourish, you know. We do too. I must mention also that uh, the first beer I had when I came back after the, you know, the the shutdown was uh, Triumvirate and it was the best damn beer I've had in ages. So uh, <laughs> thanks again for making it our house ale. And, you know, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for asking
2: us. it's it's exciting. Yeah. The team is always happy if it's been off for a bit in, in our tap room and comes back on. It's uh, a family favorite outside too. <laughs> Well, thanks so
3: much for the question. Yeah, very nice to see you. Take care, cheers,
1: guys. So, thanks again to Nat and Vern, a couple of uh, really good old friends of ours from the brewery, and just personally for both of us. You know, you said it right at the beginning, Adam, that you know in the introduction about how important this establishment is to you and your family and the brewery. And I just have to echo that Um, in my journey as a beer person. You know, starting out. In college, just starting to learn what great craft beer was and what the great beers of Europe were, Browers was that home base for me. And when I, in my past life as a photojournalist, moved overseas and I would come back to Seattle every single time, my first night back, I'd go to Browers, And my last night before I flew back to the Balkans, I'd go to Browers. And in fact, the my kind of going away party before I moved over there in 2009, and I still have the pictures uh, I had Nat open a three-liter bottle of Chimay and poured that for all of my friends. And uh, it was a pretty good memory. I, I can look it back.
2: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. That's cool.
1: Yeah. And I had that bottle for so many years in my mom's garage. And then she finally made me get rid of it. I was living thousands and thousands of miles away. But it wasn't just the beer that kept you coming back to Brower's. The people like Nat's, an institution, Fern's an institution, they've been there um, kind of running that ship. They'd always have great beer. That was a given. But the other thing that was a given was their food menu. Like I would crave their sandwiches and their, their fruit. I still think their palm frites are the best French fries in Seattle. Personally, the aioli. Oh, and the, all the sauces. I mean, it's the whole combination. And Brower's is people, food, and really great beer. And I think it kind of blew both of our minds uh, when we were speaking with them. That kind of realization that. They're a business that has these two elements, beer and food. And one is perpetually changing. Like almost every single day, you're trying to reinvent what beers you have on tap and trying to react to what's going on in the market and what the consumer wants. But on the other hand, there's probably things on that menu have been there since, on the food menu, that have been there since day one. And um, you're running a business where half is changing all the time and half is more static. And I think that kind of surprised both of us. And I just wondered what you thought as a, a business person yourself.
2: I I was going to say like I am just like that right because I I always uh on the side of um not mixing up the dinner right because it's like I can eat the same thing all the time I'm I can be a boring bastard I guess but um uh it's it's like you want to stick with that winner because if you move from that winner then is what happens if it's not as good right but maybe with a a beer it's a little bit easier to Switch because you're not as heavily vested in it. It's not like oh, I, I didn't like this uh, sandwich today. Let's, I'll, I'll, I'll order another one. Let, let let me have that one. I've I've never heard anybody say that, right? You know, I'm going to have another meal <laughs> because I didn't like that one. But I've heard it multiple times. It's like oh, I won't finish this beer. I'll just have this one in, in, instead, right? So maybe you're less vested, but it it, it is kind of interesting. There's a, you know, a, a another aside. This is totally irrelevant, but it's kind of funny. There's an ice cream place. Near us, and we take the kids there, and you can get half and halves, right? I was, I had a slam dunk one. I won't say what it is, but there, and then there was another one that I, I wasn't so sure about, but rather I didn't want to go half and half, so I went three quarters with my slam dunk, and a quarter. <laughs> and the guy goes, "You're the first person ever that starts to push," start and it's like, "Well, yeah, okay, that's me, I guess." But it's just kind of funny when you're thinking about things moving a lot and and other things not. But a couple of a couple of more relevant. Uh, thoughts. Yeah, it is interesting because people also seemingly like the food truck concept because that can bring spaces new food options on a regular basis. I think I've said it before that when I did some Google Analytics stuff, it looked like it was that Rubens Brews' most heavily searched term is Rubens Brews food truck. One thing, and I can't remember if we got into it with uh, Chris Farman from Small Batch Standard, but um. He he uses this phrase that I think is kind of kind of really good. People don't need to drink beer, but they need to eat. So, a and, and night is often built around what food you're going to have, and then the beer is like takes it to that next level, which is kind of disheartening as a brewery owner, right? That doesn't have food, right? But I guess this is where we we've got to be be thinking that like brew pubs, the whole of the brew pub culture in the US started. You know, what's that? Thirty years ago, pretty much, and um, that started on the premise that food was the core, and then beer would like added to it. Maybe that beer didn't rotate quick enough, so then that became the stale part, and the food didn't move. But now, like maybe you need to, like a really the brewpub concept to work. You need some beer element that really does rotate a lot, and then the food is, is solid and strong. But um, I'm just kind of spitballing. But it was surprising to me that the food didn't rotate anywhere near the speed of the beer.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I'm just sitting here partly just dreaming of going to Brower's tonight. I unfortunately can't get there tonight, but if I was, I know what I'm eating before I go. I know I'm going to go get fish and chips from them because I love it and I haven't had it in a while. And that's the thing I'm craving, but I'm not have a clue what beer I'm going to drink tonight after my first triumvirate. Uh, and that's an interesting thing about restaurants is sometimes you you know what you're going to get before you go there, but the beverage is the the thing that's going to change it up and kind of add that different experience for that night than any other night that you'd had there previously. That's the great thing about these conversations is you kind of realize things about yourself as a consumer, because we're all consumers, um, but also gives you some insight into how that tier works and how that impacts the, uh, the relationship that an establishment like Brower's has with their um, consumers, their customers, and then what that means for people like us and how we can think differently about how we approach things.
2: I wonder if they, uh, I wonder if we ever did a restaurant concept, where you could get a sample board of, of the different foods,
1: right? Like, That's what I want. I just want a, I want a bite of everything. Yeah, it's easier to order a sample flight of beers than a sample flight of uh, all the entrees. This was the Rubens Glass podcast. If you have any questions and comments,
2: please feel free to reach out to me at adam at or you can reach out to Matt too at matt at If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Of course, if you like what you've heard, please give us a, a rating on your platform of choice. This will help more people learn about us and help us spread, spread the good word. I also want to say thank you to Eric Johnson and Quiet Cody Studios for the music to the show and its production. So until next time, cheers. Cheers.